Hello and welcome to the Giants in Disguise podcast. My name is Usman and I shall be taking you on a journey with some of the individuals who inspire me to push my physical, mental and emotional boundaries, to believe in my abilities and ideas. Ideas that have taken me to some incredible places and meet some amazing people. In this podcast, I speak to those individuals in the hope that their stories inspire you to challenge your limits and find the giant within you. This week, I speak with Shona Fallon. Last December, in pre-COVID times, Shona won a spot for the Boris Lake Triathlon. Since we haven't had the event this year, I thought it would be nice to catch up with Shona to see how she is getting along and dig deeper into her story. I get to learn about her inspirations. When I when I hear their stories, it kind of pushes me to be a better version of myself. Um, and I kind of think, well, if they can do it, so can I. And okay, no, I can't necessarily be a boxing champion or a CrossFit champion, but I can be my own equivalent and push myself as hard as I can in what I'm doing. And I dig deep into her reasons for why she enjoys her time in nature. Um, and I think even just to sit outside and take some deep breaths, like breathing is so, so good for mental health and doing that in nature is, is a doubly positive thing. We also speak about how one can find adventure in daily life and some of her more extreme travels. I hope you find her story inspiring. This is the Giants in Disguise podcast. I just want to start off with your childhood and where you grew up. What was your childhood like? Um, So I grew up just outside of London in Surrey in a very kind of suburban leafy area um and i had um quite a positive childhood um in a lot of ways but um i really struggled with my confidence a lot um but i had a very active childhood um my parents divorced when i was 4 um and i would see my dad every weekend and he was very into sports and um would always kind of take me to the park for running and and things like that so I got into that at quite a young age um I um as I got older I got um I got quite into running and I ran a bit with my school um but um I didn't I didn't have the best experience of that because um my school was uh, it was I really didn't get on with my school, particularly secondary school, but it was um a private all girls school and it was very cliquey, even the teachers. Um so because yeah. I was into athletics and sports and running, um, but I wasn't into a lot of the team sports, I often didn't get picked for things. Um so there was a, this kind of really cliquey group that were in the lacrosse team, the netball team, um, the swimming team. Um, and they would get picked for all the running events, even though um, the kind of the couple of competitions I did get to go to for running. Um, I I did really well in. I came second in the borough. Um, uh, but I, I really um, enjoyed running. Um, and then as a teenager, um, I think I had a bit of a hard time. I didn't I didn't really like school and I um got bullied a bit um and found that really difficult but when I was 14 I got into cheerleading um and I did that for the next 
seven or so years um and I, that was a really positive thing in my kind of teenage yeah. years um and as I got older I even got to go compete at the world championships in Florida um so um that was a huge that had a huge impact on me growing up describe the describe the sort of team that you were in and uh, what sort of other kids were there did you get along with them in the cheerleading team um so i my cheerleading team was kind of a local um it was in my in my local community um and when i joined i was i think i was 14 and i was the oldest on the team by quite a long way i think the next oldest was 11 but i was so keen to join um and um i didn't really fit in at all to begin with um but as as we kind of developed together um i started really getting on with people and that made a huge difference and i wasn't actually um the most capable cheerleader i mean a lot in cheerleading is not just kind of jumping around on the sidelines we were um a competitive team we threw stunts in the air throwing people doing flips in the air um holding people six foot above your head it was really challenging stuff and I was good at the stunts but I wasn't very good at the um dance and the tumbling gymnastics side of it um but I really pushed myself I loved it so so much um and um I just worked so hard um and that was kind of i think why i kind of got to be a part of such a prestigious team um they were kind of the best the best team i knew of and and i was really proud to be a part of them yeah did you feel like a sort of sense of community in a way with these kids yeah not not at the beginning but as time went on i really felt connected to them because there's a sense of um when you're doing a sport that relies so heavily on trust, you have to build those bonds with people. So, I mean, you're throwing people in the air. I had to catch them. And when you someone has put their life in your hands like that, you do, you do build real bonds and a real level of trust. And over time, I, I formed some quite strong friendships on that team. Yeah. Are you still with friends with any of them? Um, no, I'm not actually. We've all kind of gone our separate ways because it's been quite a long time now. Um, and I think that is one of the things that, that because it is such a galvanizing sport, you kind of build those friendships on the team. But then I kind of, as I grew up, I and, di and didn't have that in common with them anymore. I kind of lost that common ground. But you were quite passionate at that. I'm Hugely sure passionate. So when we got into the world championships, I was actually due to um go that was when I just finished school and was ready to go to university and I had a place at Plymouth University um and I decided to give up that place to go compete at the world championship so that was a huge sacrifice and it was actually also the year that tuition fees went up for universities um so it was a huge sacrifice. not the best year to, <laughs> it was, yeah it wasn't <laughs> Um, but it was so worth it because, I mean, to yeah. this day, that competing in Florida, that remains one of the best experiences of my life. I've felt so proud and worked so yeah. hard to do that. How old were you when you um, went there? I think I was 19 when I went there. I think I actually celebrated my 19th birthday on that trip. Well, describe to me that trip. How did it feel um, after, you know, perhaps training for a long time and 
doing a lot of qualifications and trials and stuff and you know winning smaller events to get to that stage um getting to that I mean get going through the process was a real challenge but getting to the stage I remember I remember coming off the floor after we'd competed and just bursting into tears because I was like every everything in my life has been building up to this moment and this has been my whole world um for such a long time and it was just such a privilege and I just remember being so emotional and hugging my teammates and just feeling so close and connected with them because we'd been through this journey together and 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 it was also a sense of sadness because we'd been building up to that competition for like a year um with um since we qualified and um and then it was over and it was kind of that sense of loss of okay what 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 next and you know this thing that i've been building up towards is over now so that kind of brought some sadness with it awesome um did you did you have any inspiration or role models growing up um I found it hard to to kind of really have in to have set role models growing up. I think because um growing up I was I was what you would have considered a tomboy growing up and I know cheerleading doesn't sound very tomboyish but I very I was also into army cadets and um kind of sports and stuff and I really um didn't see a lot of female role models in the things I was interested in, in mainstream media. Um, and I found that really difficult. And there was a whole period of time um, when I was a bit younger that I was really like, I just wish I was a boy because um, when you see TV programs and read books, it's the boys who are doing all the cool stuff and the men who are doing all the adventurous stuff. And I couldn't, I couldn't relate to them in the same way to see them as role models. Um, but I found it quite frustrating that there weren't these prominent women in the in the media that I could look up to and see as role models. So um I think I I think I just kind of carved my own path a bit more. Do you do you have any role models now? Um any specific female ones? Um yeah, actually um there are a few um but ones that really stand out. I like um the kind of badass women in sports. So I really yeah. like um Nicola Adams, the boxer, um, she's really cool. I find her so inspiring. And Katie Taylor, the boxer as well. Um, and I'm also um, follow a lot of um, female CrossFit athletes. Um, I'm listening to an autobiography by um, Samantha Briggs, who's won the CrossFit World Championships before. And just these people who are at the peak of their athleticism. Um, it, it, I find it very inspiring. And I like putting on their audiobooks when I'm on a run or something. Um, and, yeah. and I really look up to people like that and kind of pushes me to sort of be my best self. Yeah. Do you feel like you channel some some sort of, sort of energy after, you know, reading or hearing about them or just following their journey? When I when I hear their stories, it kind of pushes me to be a better version of myself. Um, and I kind of think, well, if they can do it, so can I. And OK, no, I can't necessarily be a boxing champion or a CrossFit champion, but I can be my own equivalent and push myself as hard as I can in what I'm doing it's hard to find someone that you can relate to but if if you find someone that you can relate to in the wider media um, image it pushes you on since talking to you um, I think a lot of these conversations have 
merged into like role models and you know why is this important to even speak about things like these but i feel it's very important because sometimes a lot of people who might be relatable to other people aren't given um, the opportunity to share their story with a wider audience and i think this is where the podcast has sort of gone into as well now so this is why i'm kind of delving deeper into your role models and inspirations now. Yeah. so after florida um what did you end up doing you um started working right what did you start working for um well I, it was i think i had another year left of university and then i started working um and at that time i was going through a very very difficult time emotionally so i just um I just kind of that was around the time my mental health got really really bad mm -hmm. um so I kind of was just trying to keep going um keep keeping university at the time um it was a really really challenging time um I went through um some quite bad psychosis um and and just everything changed for me then so I I stopped being active and I stopped kind of looking after myself a lot and I was just trying to survive at that time. How did you find yourself overcoming that initially? Um so when it first happened my whole world turned upside down because with psychosis I didn't have kind of um hallucinations as such with audible or visual very much but it was more a different perception of reality. Um and um i kind of thought that the whole universe was in my head and i'd made it all up and i believed this so vividly but it was like a really dark place and everything was really scary um and then i talked to some friends about it who at the time i didn't believe were real people i thought they were just in my head which was terrifying but they convinced me to go to see a doctor about it um and i did which i didn't and i didn't think it was an illness i thought it was all real um but the doctor put me on antipsychotics and um i didn't believe it was going to work but over a few weeks that um started to improve um and i started seeing less symptoms but i had a four month period of just being really really unwell and not being able to cope day to day um and the recovery process was really I mean, the, the medication got me kind of a bit more on an even keel, but it was years and years of recovery after that um, until I was in a kind of healthy place again because I'd been shaken up so much. And over the kind of next five, six, seven even years, um, I would kind of occasionally dip back into the psychosis. Um, I was also leading quite an unhealthy life and drinking a lot, smoking a lot um and i it it took me a really long time to bounce back from all of that um yeah. to to the point that it's only been in the last few years really where i've kind of been living uh, a a healthy life and and looking after myself again and been happy i yeah. guess did you find sport and running during that time when you were low um or any sort of adventure or nature did you find that to be helpful or um at the time um i didn't i wasn't resourceful enough to kind of seek that out and i did kind of 
very um gently kind of go for a walk and things like that to try and feel better but I didn't have the self-awareness to realize how that would help but it was it was many years later so it was when I was about maybe maybe about five years ago now um so I would have been in my late 20s um I started rekindling my love of those things I found a female adventure community called love her world um and that was three years ago and that's been a huge help um and with them I kind of um I started my journey with with this community um by they they were advertising three years ago for a for people to to take on this challenge where we were hiking the equivalent ascent of Everest but using the peaks of the Lake District um so it was over five days and we were trying to rack up the ascent um and you had to apply for a place on the team and they had over 100 applications but I got selected for the team um and that was a a huge um change I'd been kind of building up to that and looking you know doing a bit more camping and hiking and things like that um and sort of finding myself again um but when I when I got onto the team for this um Everest equivalent um adventure that really was a game changer for me because I'd found real like-minded people who I'm still friends with now everyone on that expedition I speak to regularly um and um it was very healing and that was when I really started to notice the profound impact of nature and staying active on my mental health and since then I haven't stopped I I've just kept it going because it's it's been very healing for me do you feel it kick-started the next wave of adventures um and if you want to talk me through some of those. It really did kickstart that. I mean, I'd already been kind of building up to it. Um, I'd I'd done, I'd been, I'd gone through quite a few years of not traveling at all because I used to love to travel when I was younger, when I was like 18, 19, before I got ill. Um, and then I didn't travel much. And I started building up to traveling again. Um, so in 2016, I did a jungle trek in born in uh, Sumatra. Sorry, um, so I was seeing orangutans, and um, just hiking through the jungle for six days, and that was absolutely incredible. And it was something I'd wanted to do. I love primates, so I wanted to see the orangutans, but I also loved the jungle environment. Then, in twenty. 20- so 2017 was when I found Love Her Wild and did this Everest adventure in the Lake District. Um, yeah. That really kind of got my taste for adventure going, not just traveling, but actually um, like adventuring. And then in 2018, um, I took on an Arctic expedition, which was, I mean, it was the most incredible and challenging thing I've ever done. Um, but it was two weeks of cross-country skiing across a place called the Finnmark Plateau in Arctic Norway Um, and it was January so there were only a few hours of daylight a day so we had very limited time we were camping out in temperatures as low as minus 32 degrees centigrade Um, it was really adventurous and really full-on and um, it helped me really grow as a person Um, it was it was just a really special expedition um, and something that I would love to do again. We didn't actually complete the expedition successfully for several reasons, um, including the fact that I got third degree frostbite um, and um, wasn't sure if I was going to lose my thumb. 
Um, I didn't, luckily. <laughs> um, but um, it was it was a huge privilege to go on that expedition. So describe to me a bit more about this um, expedition. Where did it start? How many days were you looking to do and how many people joined you? We were a team of six women and that was also through the Love Her Wild community. Um, and we, I can't remember the names of the places we set off from and finished, but it was the Finnmark Plateau and we were supposed to be out on cross-country skiing for two weeks, um, I think, but we had to stop after... 11 days so we were out we were out in that cold weather for 11 days and um it was a lot um and we we'd get up each day um have to pack down our tents sometimes if there'd been um a lot of snow we'd have to dig ourselves out of our tents um which could take you know a couple of hours everything took longer on the ice it you know it's it was exhausting um but the the kind of teamwork that that went into it between between all the women um and the kind of personal growth were just absolutely amazing and I, I really felt like I overcame a lot of challenges there that were kind of in a safe space but it really helped me to kind of learn a lot about myself and how I work in a team and all those kind of things. So what what did you learn? Well um I thought the things that I would have found the hardest were battling the cold and um, the kind of physical exertion of all the cross-country skiing every day in that kind of weather and, and you know, battling windstorms. And those things were really challenging. Um, but for me, the hardest thing was just, I would get really frustrated with myself for not managing my gear properly. Um, and it was, being organised was really important because it's so cold that if you have to rummage around for something, um, then it can really slow you down and just be really uncomfortable. So you'd have to kind of know what was in what pockets. And sometimes we'd sit down for a meal in one of the tents and I'd realise I didn't have my spoon or my cup or something. And it sounds like such a tiny thing, but I'd end up getting really frustrated because it was so cold. Then I'd have to go back to my tent, rummage around for anything. I didn't know where it was. And I'd end up like crying over the tiniest little things. Um, but it felt huge at the time. Um, and I just realised when I was there that, I can be so harsh to myself and um, my team was so supportive of me when I was having these kind of moments um, and I just I just realised that I need to be a bit kinder to myself and I, ha I have started to be since then. Um, but even all, in all the moments that I was struggling, whether it was the cold or the disorganisation, whatever, even if I was crying, in every single moment, I was so grateful to be there. And I was kind of could see the lesson in it already in, in what I was going through. I could see, um, OK, I'm struggling now, but I know this is helping me grow as a person. I feel so privileged to be here. And I think because... I'd worked three jobs to be able to pay to go on that expedition because cold expeditions are really expensive. Um, I just felt like so lucky that and grateful that I was having that experience the whole time. Would you ever go back again? I would love to go back again, especially I'd love to go back and do the same route and try and complete it. Um, it is a, It does cost a lot of money to do kind of cold weather expeditions because you need a lot of gear and we had a very proficient guide who um you know it's it's expensive but 
if I was in a position to, I would really like to go back again or, or do something like an Antarctic expedition and, and go to the, the other side. Have you read, um, have you, have you read about Randolph Fiennes? I, I mean, I'm, I'm have aware of, of, of his yeah. work. I've never actually so, read yeah, any yeah. of his books, but, um, I think I've heard him speak before and he's, he's very impressive. I'd recommend reading, um, some of his books. The, yeah, some of the stuff that he's done are, um, if you really want to be doing it, but then you also don't want to be doing it as well at the same time because it's so hard and harsh. And I mean, I guess you caught a taste of it. I, I really don't know. I can't, I can't, you know, comprehend what goes through their mind. Um, what was going through your mind on a daily basis in terms of during that expedition? Did you always think of just achieving your goal or, you know, were you taking it day by day? It really varied. So I was quite goal focused. I was like really focused on getting to where we needed to be and finishing. But a lot of the time I was just fin thinking about things like, when can I be warm again? When can I eat again? Just kind of, and I like that about it because it takes it down to your primal human needs. So it's kind of like, I've been exerting a lot of energy. I need food. I need energy. What am I going to eat? Or I'm really cold. When am I going to be warm? I need shelter. Um, and I really liked that kind of primal nature of it. Mm -hmm. Did you like the simplicity of just doing, you know, simple things like not having to worry about, you know, things in the real life? Yeah, I really like the simplicity of it. And I think that that is one of the things I love about adventure generally is it's kind of it's you versus the environment and it doesn't all the things that you worry about kind of day to day when I'm kind of working in my office job or whatever um I you know those things become irrelevant and it's just about you and the environment in the moment and I think that's it's important to do sometimes it's it's very liberating does it has it has it allowed you to respect nature yes I really respect nature and and I think um I mean, I love nature as a kind of protector and something that I love spending time in. But I also, um, I think w it's very common, but I really get overwhelmed in those in those experiences when you just see the power of nature. So in that kind of extreme cold environment or also that feeling of um, being in the sea and realizing, or the ocean and realizing how powerful it is. Um, I tried surfing for the first time last year and I found it, absolutely incredible because you it's just you and the waves and you work with them but it's also this the ocean is so powerful and you have to really respect it in order to work with it to enjoy it and um yeah. I really like that feeling and that feeling when um you're standing next to huge mountains and you just feel so small and you're like these have been here for millennia that's true and um... Some days you pick your battles and some days, you know, you concede to nature and, and so, so what, what was it, because, why was it that you had to cancel or cut down your trip uh, in Norway? Um, what had happened? So we, yeah, it was when we were about 10 days in, we start, the guide started letting us know that we might have to, um, and it, w it was partly because I'd got frostbite, um, although he told me it wasn't just that. Um, also, some of our gear had got wet, um, like our sleeping bags, just because sometimes you'd go into the tent with snow on you and then your body heat would melt it and things would get wet. 
Um, and that can be quite dangerous because it means you can't get warm at night. Um, so that was like where not managing your gear very well could actually be quite dangerous. Um, and we were on day 11 and we were about to do the rest of the expedition, but it was going to a point where we would have been off of, um, any phone contact for four days. Um, and the only way to get out would have been to pull the emergency beacon and get the emergency helicopter to come out. Um, and the guide was just like, it's not, it's not safe to do this. We're like, well, I had frostbite while our gear wasn't safe. Um, and he just thought it was too risky. So he said he was pulling the plug on the expedition for our own safety. And I respect, like, we were all really disappointed that we wouldn't get to complete our goal, but we totally respected that he was there to keep us safe. And we didn't know, um, these kind of extreme environments as well. Um, so it was a really disappointing decision, but you know, the good thing is we were safe and I, I was able to go to a doctor and get my frostbite checked out. Was it, was it your thumb? Well, my thumb was third degree frostbite and that was really bad. It was really painful. It felt like a really bad burn. Um, and then I had a little bit on all my other fingers, um, but not as bad. I think that was like first and second degree. Um, and then I also had a little bit on my face, but that wasn't too bad. Um, and there was one day, the day I got it on my face, we were um, skiing through a, it was really windy um, and I didn't realise that I was meant to have my face covered um, and I was just skiing along and then um, and then we stopped and the guide just started screaming in my face oh, and apparently <laughs> um, someone else on the team told me it looked like my face was melting, it was made of wax um, oh. and he had to, you have to like put um, warm skin on the on the body part that's frostbitten um and that kind of thaws it so the team just kind of gathered round and were like touching my face um and and that that went away all right but it was absolutely terrifying just having oh my god what's happened to your face that's crazy (laughs) glad it wasn't worse so so going from you know bigger epic adventures like these do more local and more manageable uh, not manageable but just more challenging but local adventures um i know you did the london bridges um what, what did you name it yeah the london bridges challenge yeah the london bridges challenge how does that compare with you know bigger adventures or travels that you've been on um so recently i've i've gotten over the last year year and a half or so i've become more fond of the kind of local adventures and the kind of not as necessarily epic things um and that came up because um last year i spent some time in a trauma clinic um to deal with my ptsd and um I when I was in there I'd actually planned later in that year to take a sabbatical and go and run the full length of Japan and I'd been working towards this expedition and it was kind of the be all and end all I'd been training I'd started seeking out sponsorship um and then when I was in there I really took time to slow down listen to what my body and my nervous system really needed um and I realized that I loved the outdoors and I loved nature but I didn't necessarily love the kind of extreme side of it as much as I thought I had. It was more 
that was kind of where my ego came into it a bit more and it, it became a bit about how it sounded and wanting to do something cool rather than thinking I would really enjoy that run. Um, so from that time, I decided I was going to focus a bit more for the foreseeable future on smaller and more local things. Um, and that was uh, when I came out, I signed up to a two year bushcraft course um, and that is one weekend a month, every month for two years. And it's incredible. Each weekend focuses on different skills. So you do fire building, um, making cordage um, from plants, foraging, um, shelter, water and sanitation, all kinds of different things. So that's been where I've started on my kind of more local adventures. And I've learned a lot. I've absolutely loved it. Um, and then this London Bridges Challenge which came up earlier in the year, um, was something I'd heard a friend doing. And it's where you cross every bridge in London um, and it starts it starts out in Zone 6 in Hampton Court and you finish at Tower Bridge. Um, it was a 31-mile walk um, and I hadn't trained, um, so it was a real challenge. But it was just the fact that it was right on my doorstep and it actually went... I live on a boat, so it went right along the river past my home and that made it feel kind of just really special that it was right on my doorstep and I didn't have to go far afield. It barely cost anything to do, just a bit of money for snacks. Um, but it felt like a really good adventure. It was a challenge. It was hard work. Um, and it was fun. It was something a bit different. And I really want to focus more on these kind of local challenges because there's so much on no matter where you live there's some there's an adventure to be found yeah um i guess a bit more inspiration for someone who perhaps is going through let's say suffering from some sort of mental illness doesn't have to be specific to you but anything and you know feels limited to what is achievable for them how would you you know what would you say to someone like that and um well, I, I really think that, you know, the outdoors can be for everybody. Um, so for some people, it might be about running really far or doing something really challenging. But for a lot of people, it's just going to be about being outside and, and feeling those things and using the senses to just enjoy nature um, and to notice things. I think I think it's that feeling of just noticing what's around you and... Um, it helps you to get out of your head um, and into your body and into the present moment. So just noticing, you know, do you see an insect? Do you see what colours do you see? What how does how does the breeze feel on your skin? What can you smell? What what can you what do the different leaves feel like? Can you identify the names of any of the plants? Um, can you can you see any animals? And I just think that is so um so good for the mental well-being and um and I think even just to sit outside and take some deep breaths like breathing is so so good for mental health and doing that in nature is is a doubly positive thing and it brings you I mean there's scientific evidence to back it up I read a book called The Nature Fix um which is about the benefits of the outdoors on your mental health but it actually brings you out of your sympathetic nervous system which is the fight and flight response into your parasympathetic nervous which is where you're resting and you're you're calm and your your kind of your heart rate is lower um your breathing is more steady um and i think that 
everyone can benefit from from those things just by being in nature yeah um that's awesome i i think yeah there's um there's a certain sense of um appreciation i feel um just by understanding what's around you because yeah most of our times we just like you know going ahead and thinking what to do next what to do next and we forget to pause and yeah appreciate the little things um did you feel like writing was a sort of getting to know and appreciate what you were doing and reflect on things did it help you because i know you started your blog um so i i started my blog just because i mean it originally started as uh pretty much focused on travel um and it was because when i went away I liked, I originally just liked to write long, wordy emails to all my loved ones. And I enjoyed the process of writing and decompressing and going through my day. And I felt, I found it very cathartic and, um, and also a nice record of my experiences. And then someone suggested I put it on a blog because other people might want to read it. So I started a blog and it originally started as like a travel log. And then I kind of got more into a bit of a bit of kind of journaling but also writing advice posts or things people might be able to gain insight from and it's become something that's reached a few more people um and i really enjoy the whole process of blogging as a creative outlet so the writing the taking photos the promoting um the working with brands when that happens which isn't that often but just i i enjoy the whole creative process and and every part of it and it's like you know my blog is still very very small um but it's something I take great pride in and um it's like a a a whole project that's kind of just for me and um I mean it's something I share with other people but it's kind of you know it's not a job for me at the moment it's just something I do because I love it and it's yeah I, I feel really passionately about that and and I think it's really nice to have creative outlets do you think looking back at all what you've done and what you've overcome um through your own personal challenges do you think that some of the learnings have an impact on how you work um with MSF and your day-to-day job um has that opened up a new opportunity? Has that opened up new opportunities, new ways of thinking? Um, yeah, so I think um, a lot of the trauma and mental health challenges I went through when I was younger um, made me really want to do something that made a difference in the world. And I think also a lot of my travels um, made me want to make a difference in the world. Um, so working in charity um, seemed like a, a logical thing to do um, and I think that's kind of what led me there but then what keeps me there is just hearing the stories of our, our staff and our patients and and the profound impact that that MSF can have um, on on the communities we work in. Awesome um, so I guess it's just wrapping up um the tagline on your blog is they're overcoming adversity through adventures in outdoors right what does that mean to you i think the adversity i faced with my mental health was just nothing i would wish upon anyone but finding the outdoors even though it was you know some years later that i really got into it 
that was, you know, that really helped me rebuild my life again and helped me get back on track. Um, and I would really recommend to anyone that whatever you're going through and however tough it is now, it's not going to be that way forever. Um, you know, these challenging times, they ebb and they flow and they come and they go and it will get better and it may get worse again and it may get better, but finding, finding that thing that brings you to life. And I, I really think for a lot of people, the outdoors is going to do that because nature is a healer. Um, but just finding the thing that really does take you away from that, that mindset and into something that you feel positively about that that's when things will change and it's not going to happen overnight but I would just really recommend looking into in, inside yourself and seeing you know what what brings me to life and and how how can I feel like myself again and for me that was the outdoors and I really will sing their praises always yeah awesome um what are you grateful for at this point in time um, I am grateful for lots of things and I like writing down what I'm grateful for. Um, but recently, and it, it sounds really wrong in a in a crisis like um, we're going through with COVID-19, but I'm really grateful for the extra time I've had from lockdown. So um, I'm not commuting three hours a day like I usually do. Um, and that means that I have a lot more time to focus on things I'm passionate about. So I'm exercising more, I'm eating more healthily, I'm sleeping more. Um, and I feel like it's it's taken a global pandemic, but um, I'm finally living a healthy lifestyle. And I know there's so many things that are terrible about it, but I think even in the biggest crisis, we can find things to be grateful for. Yeah, so true. Well, thank you very much, um, Shona. Thank you for having you. me. <laughs> I sincerely hope that one day Shona gets to come to Pakistan and be part of the triathlon. Life is full of challenges and knowing that you're not alone is extremely comforting. We all have these moments where we are at our lowest, but just like Shona, everyone can find the best version of themselves. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. More info on where you can find Shona and her work are in the show notes below. If you love this podcast and want more, please leave a review or give a follow so you are notified when new episodes come out.